stupid such a guitar. fine line between stupid and, and clever. It's the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. My name is Sergeant Frank Drebin, Detective Lieutenant Police Squad. A special detail of the police department. There'd been a recent wave of gorgeous fashion models found naked and unconscious in laundromats in the west side. Unfortunately, I was assigned to investigate holdups of neighborhood credit unions. If the holdup man had been where Sally Decker said, the bullet should have penetrated deeper. Let me show you what we did. These guns are identical to the one that killed Jim Johnson. Watch carefully as I test fire this gun into these videotapes of Barbara Walters' interviews. You can see it completely destroys the Burt Reynolds interview and everything from, from Bo Derrick to Paul Newman, but only up to the point where Barbara asks him, is it difficult to love? Now, let me show you what happens when the gun is fired from three feet, which is the distance Sally claimed the shots were fired from. Notice, complete destruction, right up to the point where she asked Catherine Hepburn what kind of tree she'd like to be. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. I'd like to say something. There's no reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece. From coast to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other, and all points in between, the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. And now, your host, Jeremy Lunnan. Yeah, we don't know anything about that fellow there. Who is he? Where's he coming from? It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. And we're together again in the same place, John. It is wonderful. We're in the basement again, the beautiful basement. In the same basement. So we've the, for the past couple months, we've been doing the live streams. We've been in two different places, which is, I mean, that's good, too. But it's nice to actually get in the same place. Indeed. Uh, I think Zoom has its place, and uh, I think that place should be over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think Zoom needs to go away. Yeah. So we were, we were talking about some uh, upgrades. The problem with upgrades, John, is money. Right, but we're talking about upgrades. Money's no object. To, well, that's right. When you when you have none, it is no object. Yeah, so that's when creativity comes in. That's right. So we are we are on the cusp. I don't want to make a date. I don't want to promise, but we're on the cusp of doing some things. I think it'll be cool. And in fact, by the way, I wanted to thank John for all his hard work on the website. Well, thank you. And one thing I, I mentioned this. I think I've mentioned this on an episode. We've started a weekly radio show. There's the Classic Guitar Rock Time Machine, which is a weekly radio show. And it's now, it's on four stations now. But I'm talking to, I think we'll probably be up to five or six by the end of the week. Uh, do you remember which stations those are? Because I, I have them right in front of me. I do, they're right, that's what I was going to say. You can go to the website. It's on uh, Zenith Classic Rock. Indeed. It's on Tweakle. T-W-E-A-C-L-E radio. Yeah, Tweakle radio, uh, Retro Sounds radio, and then the, the Mad Music Asylum. The Mad Music Asylum. And I believe, I should know this, I believe these are all in the UK. I did not check them out. Yeah. Tweakle sounds incredibly British. Yeah, I think they're all in the UK, and I, I checked them all out, uh, you know, because I want to make sure that we're playing on stations that that are a good fit, right? And they're all excellent. You know, I, I spent time listening to all of them. So go check those stations out. And you know what's really cool about all of these stations is if you're used to the traditional formatted classic rock stations, you know, where you hear the same songs. Yes. Oh, these have very broad playlists, which is cool. So you'll hear stuff that... Is pretty because that's, pretty broad. that's I think that would be the easiest job in the world to be the program manager for a classic rock station. Oh, totally! Because there's like a hundred songs. <laughs> it was like forty, you know, forty yeah. forty albums. You covered it, you know. Yeah, I know the local one here, and this is not an exaggeration. The local one here 
you would hear Edgar Winter Frankenstein every day. And I'm, there's nothing wrong with that song. On heavy rotation. On heavy rotation. But every day you would hear that song. You know, if you heard it 4 p.m. one day, you'd hear it at 6 p.m. the next day. Or, but it was, that's just the way it is. It was really formatted. And, so I used, I heard that um, like in radio stations that were classic rock, mm-hmm. they would play like Inagata de Vida mm-hmm. when they had to go to the bathroom for a totally. long time. So they'd, <laughs> they'd turn the record on and they'd walk away for. 10 yeah. minutes and come back. Yeah. Well, I told you, I think I've told this story, but I'm telling it again. It's a great story. So I worked at a country station, K-Law 101, Oklahoma's best country. <laughs> and they actually had remote starts for the cart machines in the restroom. So you and all the songs okay, were on what's, cart. What's a cart machine? First a of all? cart machine is like an, you know, well, you, I know you're asking. So I explained, but the endless loop tapes, they look like an eight track, right? And so the radio stations would have, they'd have 40 second carts. Those are for your 30 second commercials. They'd have 70 second carts. Those are for your 60 second commercials. So what they do is that 60 second commercial would play and then it would queue up in 10 seconds. So it would stop at the beginning of the commercial. There, there was a, so if it's an eight track player and this was kind of the, like the early form of sampling, if you wanted to stick it. Kind of. You couldn't, yeah. you couldn't reverse it, but it would always go. They had a tone on it, and this tone was picked up by a, by a, a magnetic head inside the yeah, machine. It would you didn't always hear go to it. the same place. Right. So right. when you push that button, it would play. Right. But if you, if you fudged it, right. if you had a 60-second and you misplayed it, yep. you had to wait 70 seconds for that for thing to go to come all, all the way, way around. around. Yep. Absolutely. So you could trigger those from the bathroom. From the bathroom. So what you could do is we had six cart machines. You'd load up, you know, maybe you'd load up your liner, which would say, Oklahoma's best country, right? And then it's then you'd line up your song, you know, then maybe another song. And then, I mean, six cart machines, you could have 30 minutes of audio lined up if you, you know, with songs yeah. or whatever. So you could sit on the can and just fire off your, your songs from the bathroom. It was awesome. We should look at something like we that should do for that. the basement. Uh, yeah. Like we'll do I our mean, podcast from the <laughs> the bathroom. From the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason why we couldn't. Oh, there's uh, there's so, a lot of reasons why we shouldn't. Anyway, anyways, but Inagata Davida is a prime one. When I worked at the oldies station here and spoke, here's the problem with oldies. Oldies songs are short. Yeah. Two minutes, thirty seconds, three yeah. minutes. So I'm down in the basement. The control room was down in the basement. The bathroom's upstairs. You're like, crap, what do I got? I got, I got, hey, Jude, that's six minutes, 12 seconds. If I have to, that'd work, right? Uh, but, but then you got a lot of 450. You got like, uh, uh, Age of Aquarius. That's 450, you five minutes. You didn't have a, like, uh, uh, like your off air reel, like when things go really, we called it an we emergency called it, reel. We called it an old crap reel when I was in television <laughs> broadcasting. <laughs> yeah, if, totally. if the world was burning down and nuclear missiles were firing and you couldn't get the <laughs> thing to play, you'd put this tape in the deck and it would be like these yeah yeah the more you know yeah and so we actually did have one of those at one station in oklahoma and here's what's really scary we're in the middle of tornado alley so every spring we'd have storms and fortunately it never happened to me but if you were on the air and the transmitter went down there's this whole little book you're supposed to drive to the transmitter that's like three miles out of town and reset it and do all this and i'm like if there's a tornado going on, I'm not, I'm not doing that. But we actually had a big reel, like an emergency reel that was, you know, 60 minutes that you could put on if you had to run out to the, yeah. adjust the plate voltage or something <laughs> on the transmitter. So it's, it's crazy. Fortunately, I never had to do that, but I was on the air a couple of times and there was like tornadoes, you know, and you'd have to come on and there's a tornado warning for Comanche County, you know, and it's like, I remember crazy. working for local television and um, during snowstorms, we'd have to have somebody with a broom go shovel off the, the satellite dishes or we wouldn't get a signal. <laughs> Literally would, That's it would awesome. change the, 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 the shape of the dish enough so that it wouldn't aim onto the receiver. Nice. So the old days. So, uh, this is local inside stuff. You worked at KHQ, right? Yes, I did. Okay, so... A local uh, NBC affiliate. NBC affiliate here in Spokane, Washington. Well, I had a friend that worked at KHQ. No, what was his name? Uh, I can't even remember his name. It was... I worked with the lady at the radio station. Her husband worked at KHQ. I can't even remember his name. But he was telling us that they sent out... This is probably... 
93, 94. So it might have been before your time. A little bit before my time, yeah. So they actually sent out <laughs> a memo to the staff that said, okay, from now on, I don't want any more of your get off the South Hill. Okay, because every single of their live local things were within like two blocks of the station. Because you could tell uh, now, now KHQ's downtown, right? Have yeah, they moved that downtown? was a that was a big deal. That's why they have that big tall mast on there. Because that's right. Okay. Local when you're broadcasting from uh, a mobile truck, it has to be line of sight. Right. So okay. putting the moving Q Q six from the top of the hill to the bottom of the valley was a bad move. Then you have to do a bounce. You have to go from one antenna to another and bounce it okay so bounce it so bounces would degrade the signal obviously but that was part of the problem yeah it's like the further you go away the worse and, your signal is and this was when they were still up on the south hill but and it was funny it was a joke because we even noticed it every time they do i am with breaking news you know they're talking about the blizzard that's coming or they're talking about this they are never more than about two blocks away from the station. They're at the shopping center right there on Regal mm -hmm. on the South Hill. They're across the street at Ferris High School. I mean, it's like, and they finally said, guys, get, quit being lazy. You know, it's because every single thing they did was with, in about a three block radius. And, and also there's more snow fun. on the South Hill than downtown. Absolutely. Snow makes for good TV. Yeah, it does. You don't know how many broadcasts you'd see from the parking lot. And I'm out here in the parking lot. It's like, okay, whatever. Well, so. Speaking of satellite dishes, when Q6 moved from, from the South Hill to downtown, they had a surplus sale. So we're getting rid of all a bunch of old equipment. Oh. And they had a, a little mini satellite dish. Mm. And you know what it was? What? It was an aluminum uh, disc sled that kids would use in the 60s before plastic. <laughs> so it was just literally this, you know, three foot diameter aluminum, like circular sled or circular like ski bob or whatever. And that and was. They put, a, they put a receiver on it and that's what they would use. It brilliant. Wow. So were you working there when they made the move? Uh, yes. Wow. That's that a, was, a, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah. So anyway, sorry about sorry, the local, local stuff, stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, Broadcast, is, yeah, it yeah. is funny. So anyways, cool stuff on the website. We mentioned our blog. There, There is a blog up now, but we're still rearranging some things. Uh, Dan Ranke is our blogger and he'll be posting some more stuff. And so you'll be seeing more of that. But the uh, website is a, is a work in progress. And what's the website address again? It is classicguitarrock.com. Indeed. And you there's all it. kinds of stuff. It's a really, it's, it's, it's a, cool a great site. site. It's a great site. Of course, you can get the episodes there, but there'll, there'll be some other cool stuff there, uh, like the internet stations that are carrying the classic guitar rock time machine radio show. And it was the, the last episode of the time machine show that made me think about what we want to talk about tonight. But before we get to that, did you see this news item about Van Halen? I did. Okay. It so it was on. Uh, ultimate guitar rock? Yeah, oh. I saw it on a few different places, oh. and it, and it kind of, I saw three different YouTube stations talking about it, but YouTube channels talking about it, but both Joe Satriani and Jason Newstead, the bass player from Metallica, have talked about being in communication with the Van Halen camp about a potential tour to celebrate, you know, Van Halen, obviously, and I thought, well, that's really weird. Because Wolfgang wouldn't be a part of it then. They already go to baseball. Well, well that's well, yeah. It, well, what about Michael Anthony? Yeah, I what mean, about he's Michael still Anthony? Around. You know, so David Lee Roth responded with kind of a jokey. He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. He just made kind of a, a joke about it. But you know, I don't think Satriani would just make it up and talk and, about it. Uh, if you if you had let's say you had Sammy Hagar. You had Joe Satriani and Michael Anthony playing bass. You'd have Chicken Foot with Alex as the drummer. That's basically what you'd have. Yeah. yeah. So Jason Newstead is an interesting choice. Yeah, that's kind of out he, of left field. In my mind, I thought he left Metallica like a few years ago. It's, it's been almost twenty years now. It's a yeah. long time, and he's been he's he's an artist now. He's an artist, and and he sells his painting for sixty thousand dollars. And and, and the the last music I saw him do, he was playing guitar. He wasn't playing bass. I don't have any other input other than I, I just thought it was weird. There's no mention of Michael Anthony or Wolfgang. Yeah. 
in any of the stuff. All Satriani said was, well, yeah, it would be a celebration of, obviously, of Eddie, but also, you know, the whole spectrum of Van Halen. So from what he said, it sounds like the Sammy era, the Gary Sharon era, that that would all be part of it, but that would imply Roth would be involved, Sammy would be involved. They don't get along. No, um, no one gets along with David Lee Roth. And so I... I don't know. I I, I kind of think this will probably n- no. never happen. That's my thought. Here, here's my take. Cause you remember Queen? You know, tw- like twenty years after Freddie Mercury died, mm-hmm. they had a they had a like an endorsed cover band for Queen, mm. and Mark Martell, a terrific singer out of Canada, got the got the singing mm-hmm. gig. And they had uh, it was like a television show where they had different guitar players, different basses, and and drummers basically try out for this spot on this uh, queen cover band Mm -hmm. and they were fantastic and they went on a global tour yada 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 i think that's what van halen should do they should say Mm. we're gonna have Mm. a van halen endorsed cover band yeah and we're gonna hire the best in the business and they're gonna play the van halen tunes you love i'd go see that that would be cool i mean I, i would just I'd go see it if it if it came about in whatever form. I'd go see it just because I love Van Halen. I just I'm scratching my head that there's no mention of Michael Anthony, who's still alive and a great bass player and singer still. Uh, It's just it's interesting. Very interesting. Probably nothing will come of it. No. Okay. So when we come back here, here was the idea. This is what triggered this this topic for tonight. The last episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Time Machine was 1978. And as I went back and was playing these songs, I was just scratching my head at, man, what what a great year 78 was. 78 was a great year, especially for debut albums. It was a monster. Packed. So I thought, let's just talk about 1978. Let's do it. So when we come back, we're going to talk about 1978. The basement can be a lonely place. Hello? Hello? Is anyone in here? Yet, at the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast, the basement is all that Jeremy and John have. Their wives don't want them geeking out on classic rock in the living room. Can you blame them? But you can help. For as little as $3 a month, you can become a supporter on Patreon. Join today and end the cycle. Visit patreon.com slash classic guitar rock. They'll still be in the basement, but at least it's not your basement. Hello? Is anyone in here? From the Empire State Building in New York City. Okay, I'm in a basement in Spokane, Washington. It's the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Jeremy and John here. Uh, Our topic is 1978. And one thing that is funny, just Google, you know, I Googled best rock albums of 1978, right? And depending on the website, it's all subjective. So there are some websites that that it, it's it's these obscure metal bands you'd never even heard of, right? And then there's other ones that are very more more new wave, yeah, tinged or whatever. But but it's it's fascinating. And of course, there's some albums that were so huge that they're on every list. You know, and, they and can't some albums were mention. have been monumentally uh, like like touchstones of music. Oh, big like time. like changing genre kind of music. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to talk about 1978. But first, I'm going to put John on the spot. What were you doing in 1978? Where were you? How old were you? You I were was, just a kid. I was eight years old. Okay. <laughs> I was living in Salt Lake City, Utah, West Jordan, Utah. Awesome. And uh, we just moved there. And I was going to primary. Was pr- primary's little church meeting, right? Little, little you go church to meeting. Every, every week? Yes. You go to? Okay, so... Was music on your radar? Was this pre or post clock radio? Uh, this is pre clock radio. Okay. So my experience with music of at least having an earworm was uh, the year pre year or two previous to that. Okay. My family took we lived in in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, and we took a trip down to Galveston. Okay. And I heard that um, 
I've been walking the streets alone. Glenn Campbell, Glenn Campbell, who had a famous song called Galveston also. Yeah, he did. Jimmy Webb song. So yeah. I heard that song, oh, it must have been 15 times on the trip down and back. And that was the first time I remember remembering music. Yeah. Rhinestone Cowboy, great song. Rhinestone, it was it was played overplay. It was the songs of summer. So I'm a little older, so I was 11. But 78, as I as I look back, that's really, I have distinct memories. I lived in Oklahoma. Paul McCartney, somebody knocking on the door. Somebody's knocking at my door. Was that 78 or 77? I don't know. I, I have distinct me. memories of that song. But one song I know for sure was 1978. I just remember, like, riding home from school, hearing this song all the time, Sultans of Swing. Right. So oh, I was Dire talk Straits, about The Cars, you know, I remember hearing The Cars, Double Vision, okay, Foreigner. I mean, you're hitting all my. I'm okay. Well, see, that was just, and this was just, I was 11. So I was just starting to notice music. And so I, I have a warm spot for, for 1978 because there's a lot of great albums. And then a lot of the albums I didn't really discover till later. You know, that, that did come out in 78. There were some phenomenal ones. So throw some at us, John. So let's talk about Dire Straits. I think, oh, okay. I think that's their debut album, right? It is their debut album. So in the world of classic guitar rock, there's certain songs that basically guitar players will learn uh, as kind of like a study. Yeah. Like, like an example of their prowess of the instrument. It, it's kind of like Sultans an, of Swing is the one yeah. for clean guitar. It's like a, it's like when we talk about standards. Mm -hmm. Sultan's a swing is kind of like a standard. I agree. Yeah. And that's it's a very I mean every there's not if you listen to it all the guitar fills are different every single time. Yep. And this guy he doesn't play the same part twice, he doesn't play the same riff twice. He makes basically a a, a clean guitar masterpiece on his debut album. Yeah. So much so, John, and some people will disagree, I think that was their best album. I think it might have been. I, I, and I love it. To this day, I, I love it. And I remember, I didn't actually own that album probably till I was a sophomore in high school. Uh, but to your point, I started playing in a band, not really a band, we never played anywhere, but I started playing with this guy. So here's me, 15 years old. He's like 20. Me and my drummer friend... We go to this guy, Bill, and we play. And he was like, uh, you know, because to this point, I'm like trying to learn my Judas Priest songs and I'm Mr. Metalhead. And we went and played with this guy and he's making me learn like Dire Straits songs. And I was, I'm playing the rhythm part of Dire, you know, he's playing all the hard stuff, but he could play it. And it was like, well, and then we're playing like Marshall Tucker songs and Steve Miller songs, a lot of clean tone right. stuff. So it was a real education for me. And at, at that point, I went out and bought that Dire Straits album. And I that's an album that I still, to this day, I listen to just front to back. And the whole album is just, it's beautiful. It's an it's well awesome done. album. Awesome album. So what's your, what's another album from 78 that you really think made a, made a uh, dent in rock or I, made a dent in music? Well, the first Van Halen album. Oh, you took it. Sorry, dude. <laughs> Sorry. But, but, and I'll let you talk about it. But, but I mean, that one is in, in terms of really breaking new ground, I'd have to say that album. And yeah. that was when Eruptions on that album, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And that's, that's one of those songs you hear. Of course, I heard it later, but it's one of those songs you hear. You have no idea what he's doing. Yes. Yeah. You had, is, that? is it, a, I mean, you, you thought it was a keyboard of something, but you had no idea you could play a keyboard that fast. Mm -hmm. And it turned out to be two hand tapping where yeah. guitar players, you can, you pinch with your, if you're left, if you're right handed, you pinch with your left and you basically, you dance your fingers on the board and you don't pick. You got both hands on the board. Both hands are on the board yeah. and you're kind of pounding the string into the fret. Yeah. And that was just, so unusual at the time. You know, a lot of people say he didn't originate that, which is whatever. I mean, he put it on the map. He put it on the map. And, and even if you, and you can, you can find obscure jazz guitar players from the 50s that get two hands up on, but it's not like he was doing. Yeah. And it was classical too. He has those classical turns in it. It's like, it's it's almost a Bach etude. It, it totally is. It totally is. And 
He started out, he and his brother were both classically trained pianists. They moved to L.A. when they were, you know, I think Eddie so, was like so, eight. So the dad was Dutch. And dad was Dutch. Mom was Filipino, Filipino or something. Oh, I'd have to see. But, but, but they spoke Dutch. And d- imagine that. Didn't speak English when they came to the U.S. in like the early 60s, right? And and Eddie's like eight or something, and Alex is a couple years older. But they were both classically trained pianists. So they, they spent their first few years playing the piano, you know? And then at some point, Alex started playing guitar, and Eddie was playing drums, and they switched at some point. I don't know if it's the classical music background, the fact that they were from another country. It's like... His style was just so completely different than his, anything else at that time. His mother's name is Eugenia, mm-hmm. and she's from Indonesia. Indonesia. Okay. And his their dad was Dutch, and their dad, Jan, or Jan, he actually plays the clarinet solo on uh, Big Bad Bill is Sweet William Now oh, on the yeah, Diver yeah, Down. Yeah, 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 yeah it's yeah. a really jazzy, you know, musical family, right? Very musical family. and. And you even said this, John, when we were talking about rhythm guitarists, that Eddie Van Halen's rhythm is really unique. It's underrated. Totally underrated. And I think rhythm guitars are generally underrated, you know. But to be honest, you think about it, it's way more important. Yeah. You know, I mean, look at look at the who. Pete Townsend hardly ever busted out a solo. No. He didn't. He played great rhythm parts and wrote great songs. Speaking of the who... Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you get it? I I know the one you're going to say. Which one is it? It's who Who are you? Right. Yeah. It's a It's a great album. So I I think this is where um the guitar player. What's his name again? Pete Townsend. Pete, sorry, I'm yeah. getting aged here. Yeah. So Pete Townsend, <laughs> he started really experimenting with synthesizers right. and Lowry organs at the time, mm-hmm. and this really impacted the way these albums sounded. So that's that's my take on it. And it was the next several albums. Oh, yes. Because right? even like Eminence Front. Oh, You know, it all starts with that whole. Um, so I'm going to tell a story about John. So we played in our little band. We'd play a song. And then at the tail end, what was it? It was Not Broken. Yeah. We'd play Not Broken, which is who'd. I don't know, 90s. Goo Goo Dolls. Goo Goo Dolls. So we play this Goo 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 Doll song. In the key of E. Not broken. In the key of E. And we'd come right right into Baba O'Reilly. Right. And John worked out, I don't know how you did it, but you worked out that little keyboard figure, little sample that sounded really good. But that's exactly what Townsend was doing. And it's all over at the beginning of Who Are You? You know, that whole... Yeah. It's at the beginning of Eminence Front. Eminence Front. He that was a big that became a big part of their sound. And I think that that really affected music. I think that use of a harder band using keyboards was I mean, I think that influenced a lot of people. Yeah. Too. There's a documentary. Is it The Kids Are All Right? Or was there one later? Anyways, one of the documentaries shows Pete messing with this these early synthesizers and he was completely nerding out on it and he really was the he was the driving force right of the who i mean and those old modular synths it wasn't like modern synthesizers no. where you go i want a piano and you push a button you can it's like you were running it was like a switchboard operator oh you yeah had, and you're tweaking you all these knobs and you got you got <laughs> cables you're plugging in and yeah, you know, you got to have almost a, an engineering degree to, to get this thing to work. Yeah, and and actually, Dark Side of the Moon, they were doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, but no, uh, that of course the last album with Keith Moon. Uh, so he died shortly after that album, which was sad. But that's a great album. It's an awesome album. And I got one for you. Okay, Journeys, Infinity, Infinity, album. and what's unique about that one? That's the first time Steve Perry's on the album. Absolutely. And it completely changed Journey. It changed them. And and you know what? Journey before Steve Perry, it was a cool band. Cool band. But it was a completely different band. Right. And they would have fiddled around and be in a cool fusion band forever until, you know, if he hadn't come along. Yeah, I agree. It completely changed the band. So the, the title track or the the hottest track on that album was Wheel in the Sky. Yeah. So that's one of those songs you hear all the time on Classic Art Radio. Yeah. 
Comes from, right from 1978. I think that's my favorite Journey song, actually. Yeah. I love that song. And what's your next one? <sighs> okay, here's one that's not on any list. It's uh, City Nights by Nick Gilder. City Nights by Hot, Nick. Hot Child in the oh, City. Oh, there we Remember go. Remember that song? Okay, yeah. so, and I've talked about this before. This is one of my pet albums uh, for tasty, catchy guitar playing. This is one of my all-time favorite. It's just, it's just really, it's not hard rock. You know, he's got this kind of androgynous, you know, I thought it was a girl singing the first time I heard it, right? He kind of looks like a girl. Yeah, a little bit. But, man, it's just got the catchiest, coolest guitar playing. There's two guitar players. There's a lot of interchange between the two. It's just, I love it. It's one of my favorite albums and it came out in 1978. And that's when I didn't discover till 20 years later, yeah. right? I had known Hot Child in the City, but, but then sometime, John, here, here's, a, here's a promise to everyone. As I look into a lot of this, Chrysalis Records. Oh, yeah. So many of my favorite songs are, okay, Blondie was Chrysalis. Nick Gilder was Chrysalis. UFO was Chrysalis. Pat Benatar was Chrysalis. There's something about the Chrysalis albums. There's, you know, UFO, definitely not New Wave. They're more kind of the hard rock. But but all this other stuff was kind of walking that line of new new wave, kind of. But they've all got great guitar sounds. They've all got the production is great. So at some point, I want to talk about Chrysalis because I we could I do think a whole we should show. Do on Chrysalis, but but that Nick Gilder album is another one from 78 everyone should check out. So my next choice is a pair of albums. Okay. And the first one, let's see, I don't I didn't check the release dates on them, but they, they both released in the same year. Let's see if I can find it. Where is it? At? Um uh the album is Peter Gabriel 3. Oh, called Melt. And the title track, or the best track off that one, is called Games Without Frontiers. That was a... a I did not know that was that 1978. far 1978. Wow. So that was a, a very modern-sounding uh, track. That one is... The whole album is really good. So is Salisbury Hill from that album, or was that earlier? I think that's earlier. Okay. Yep. All right. I mean... Okay. I don't know the complete discography, but the other one I want to talk about was Genesis released an album that year. And it's called And Then There Were Three. Yes. And you know why that's a special album? Uh, well, for a couple reasons. It's because there was only three of them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> we're, we're done with Peter Gabriel. He yeah. can make his own albums. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't the first one without Peter Gabriel. It wasn't. No. Okay. No. That was because I think who they lost there was Steve Hackett. Hackett. Because I'm and I'm not, I don't have this in front of me, but I think Wind and Wuthering came, and then there might even be another one, and then there's and then there was three, but it's a live album. Yeah. So the title track off that one, or the not title track, but the little track I really like off that one is oh, let me find it again. Um, follow you, follow me. Oh, it's a great song, and it has a great guitar part. I it's got a laid back feel. It's not yeah. it's not driving rock. It's kind of like you're on you're on your heels. And so here's the thing about Genesis. There are and lots of bands are this way. You could make the case about lots of bands. It's almost like they're two different bands. There's the I'm gonna offend people when I say this. I don't like the Peter Gabriel Genesis. It's I, just too weird. It's really weird. It's it's, it's long and it's pompous. It's, it's, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. But I like Peter Gabriel once he got on his own. Right. And I like, I love Wind and Weathering. That's one of my favorite Genesis albums. That was, you know, Phil Phil does a great job. There's an interesting story about that, too, because when Peter Gabriel left, they're like, what are we going to do now? And they're like auditioning people. And, you know, Peter Gabriel would dress like a flower and, and wear a dress and makeup. And wear like a rabbit. And he, yeah, he was a, and he was a performance artist. It was, it was like art. It was art. It was musical art. Yeah. And, and I think people that went to the concerts were just going because it was odd. It was. In a, they're not. Yeah. They're not going to like, oh, I'm going to sing along with the band on this track. <laughs> right, right. This, this 15 minute long, uh, you know, yeah. exposition on the court of g or whatever yeah yeah and so when he left they thought well what do we do now and they're auditioning people and they're doing all this stuff and and so 
Phil Collins is like, you know, he'd like demo to people trying out. It goes like this. And then they finally said, Phil, why don't you just, why don't you just sing? But then you got the singing drummer. Yeah. And he wasn't, he didn't think of himself as being out front and all of that. But he's got such a distinct, I think he does a great job. And I can't imagine, you know, follow you, follow me, turn it on again. Duke is one of my favorite Genesis albums. You know, it wouldn't work with anyone but Phil Collins. But a lot of the diehard fans of the weird Genesis, they're like, oh, they turned into a pop man. And it's like, whatever. It's still good. I mean, you know? if, if, if Genesis hadn't turned pop, we would not be celebrating Phil Collins' retirement. We'd be well, like, you're right. We would, know, we would know him. And there probably wouldn't have been a Phil Collins solo career. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my favorite soundtrack albums of all time is the Tarzan soundtrack. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and it's awesome. It's great. There you go. So, okay, hit me with another okay, one. Okay, no, you're up. You're, oh, okay. Up to, I give you two. Here's one. Okay. Um, I just saw this and I have to mention it because I bought this with my own allowance money. The Village People, Cruising. Oh, that's (laughs) brought us YMCA. Yes. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, my, uh, my brother didn't want to tape anymore. He gave me, it was a, (laughs) had, it was like the greatest hits of, you know, macho man and YMCA. I I told you about, I, I came home. I can't remember if it was this album or the follow up go West. I came home and it had a big fold out poster of men like of of the village people all men, right? Yeah, they're all oh yeah, they're in their costumes and it's like it's like you know, it's like a foot tall but then like six feet long. So it's a real long one with the close up and action shot of each one, right? And I put it I shared a bedroom with my older brother and I put it for some reason I put it over his bed so I could see it, I guess, because it's on the other side of the room. And he comes in and he says, what's that? And he tears it down. <laughs> he was, cause he's like over there. He's listening to sticks and kiss and stuff. And then I festoon the room with the big village people, all the oil poster. and the hair. <laughs> yeah. Know. Yeah. So no shit anyway, on those guys. That, that doesn't count. I, that was a joke, but that did come out that year. But here's an album that I really did like. Speaking of sticks, pieces of eight. Yeah. Came out. I have that on my list in too. that year. And that, you know, had obviously renegade. Uh, Blue Collar Man, one of my favorite stick songs, Queen of Spades. It's a good album. It's a, it's a rocking album. That's, that's before Cornerstone, which came out like a year or two later. And then even Par- Paradise Theater, which was a big hit for them, it was starting to get a little softer, right? They were, and then by Kilroy. That's when they were like a total Broadway. That's, that was what broke up the band. Yes. I remember, uh, I think I was 11 and I was in, I'm not sure what band I was in an element or in middle school. And we took a trip from the Tri-Cities in Washington to Portland to do some kind of competition. Mm-hmm. We couldn't play our instruments for the damn. <laughs> anyway, my best friend, Mike, Mike Dodderer, if he's out there, mm-hmm. he had a, a, now I don't think it was a Walkman. It was like a Toshiba or Hitachi, a cassette player. It was mm-hmm. magical. It had buttons on it. <laughs> yeah. He had batteries. I, I think I had some battery stuff and my parents would never buy me batteries, but uh, he had a headphone splitter. Okay. And so what a headphone splitter does is it splits out right and left. It doesn't give you two stereo signals. So he put this uh, cassette on. Mr. Roboto. I was like, <laughs> what is this Broadway, man? Yeah. So, but you're hearing it, you're hearing it monaural. You're hearing just one side, you know. One ear. Yeah. Like half a drum set. Half yeah. a, I think we did that for like eight hours on that bus trip, that one song. Yeah. But one, one out, one album. But Pieces of Eight, Grand Illusion, Pieces of Eight, those are, to me, that's the, that's the pinnacle of sticks right there. Those two albums. And, and this is a good one. So that's a great one from that year. I got one. Okay. Let's hear it. More songs about buildings and food by Talking Heads. Uh, oh, and the track okay. after that that killed was Take Me to the River. Take Me to the River. Okay. That was like, when that sound came out, everybody took notice. Yeah. That was a game changer. Yeah. That was a big, that was a big album. And Talking Heads were, they were interesting because, first of all, how many people were actually in the band? Right. I think I think the band is like four people. And yet when you see them, there's it's an entourage. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a good one. And Tina Weymouth. T- Tina Weymouth. And yeah. it was kind of interesting to see like 
there's a girl playing a bass guitar. What is going on? Yeah. The universe isn't right. <laughs> yeah, <there's>, something's <laughs> wrong. But th- really good. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, and she played all these tasty, you know, memorable, memorable licks. You know, mm-hmm. it was really great. And they were very much about the the rhythm, right, and the vibe. You know, you didn't. They weren't a hard rock band, you mm. know, a lot of funky stuff and a lot of world, you know, a lot of different rhythmic things they going on. They weren't playing stadiums. No, yeah. no, no, no. And so part of what I want to talk about today was that whole CBGB's kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So what do you know about CBGB's? What can you tell me? Well, CBGB's was a club that was groundbreaking uh, a lot of people started, right? The Ramones oh, played CBGBs. They came out in 78, too, with an album. Yeah, the Ramones did, and the other band you're thinking of, Blondie. Blondie. All were, came up through CBGBs. Right. But CBGBs, I think, they played a lot of different genres, though. There yeah. was a lot of different If, if I remember correctly, CBGB stands, stands for C-Country, Country, Bluegrass, and Blues. Really? C-B-G-B. I did not know that. I didn't Country, know that. bluegrass, and blues. So the owner, I think he wanted to make it a blues joint. Mm-hmm. And what happened was all these weirdos showed up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they didn't pay very much, so all yeah. the weirdos showed up. Yeah. You know, and they'd play on a Tuesday or Wednesday, and they got this groundswell, and everybody started playing there. Yeah, I think I think the police ever even played. There. I think you're right. Yeah, Talking Heads probably played there at some point. Oh, I don't a lot. Know. Talking, yeah. They played there a lot. I think. But but when I think of CBGBs, I think of the Ramones and I think of Blondie, uh, who both had albums. And both had albums yeah. that year. Yeah. And in fact, Parallel Lines, maybe my favorite Blondie album. Uh, and that's where I think, and I could have this story wrong, but Giorgio Moroder, he's kind of a hipster. The, you know, he's the, the producer, he's, he's the, the electronic. A, a, Italio. Italio disco. Italio or disco, yeah. Uh, he produced parallel lines right so so you get the you get the kind of punky blondie sound but then you get the giorgio Moroder stuff you know call me that's on the not on this album it's on the next album or maybe two albums later it's very much got the giorgio Moroder, but but even heart of glass you know has the very giorgio Moroder. i thought influences he, I thought, man there was a movie that he did that was just like was it was He did a soundtrack to something. Yeah, it was a, a famous late seventies. Oh, I know the one you're talking about. I know the one you're talking about. He did a couple soundtracks, and actually, I've been known to just go on Spotify and hit Giorgio Moroder and listen to his. He does the theme for Coast to Coast AM. That's called The Escape, I think, is what that song's called. So I think it was the movie Electric Dreams that had a young, what's her name, blonde gal. There's even a more famous one, though, that he did, too. But anyways, yeah, so Blondie, and we mentioned the Ramones. They had an album in 78. Their best hit ever. Which uh, Blitzkrieg Bop? Is that their no. best one? Or which one? I Want to Be you? Sedated. Oh, on, oh, okay. They're both on that album. Everybody, think, everybody so. knows that chorus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the verses, I guess. Okay. Is it your turn or my turn? I think it's your turn. One of my favorite albums, Hemispheres by Rush, came out. Wow. And this is the last... This is what I call the the final bathrobe era Rush album from Hemispheres. So this was the last one with the long. I mean, this the Hemispheres is it's longer than twenty one twelve. It's like twenty three minutes long. So it's got one side one is one song right in different parts right, uh, and it's uh, you know part two of the famous Cygnus X one, which started on the previous album. <laughs> But it's great. I love it. I love this album. Uh, of course, by 1980, with Permanent Waves, they really started to tighten things up, and they got away from the long epic. I call them the nerd epics, right? But I oh. like the nerd epics, right? So that's why I like that album. It's a great album. Your turn. Okay. Joe Walsh. But seriously, folks. Yes. The big hit off that one was Life's Been Good. Yeah. How long is that song? Like 12 minutes? Eight minutes? It's uh, long. It's long. Eight song. minutes and 56 seconds I okay. got on my Spotify. Love that. Love that song. 
That's a great song. I love that song. That's a song that just in your car sounds really good. I can remember just cranking that up. I think that would be considered like eight track rock. It, I'm sure it is. And that one was so long that you'd have to split it over two tracks. <laughs> so right in the middle, it would go. Then <laughs> it fades in and starts again. Uh, that's a great. Okay. So here's another great album. We've talked about this one a lot. Of course, the first Cars album. And that, the, the joke was when the Cars were about to release their greatest hits album, someone just says, well, wasn't their first album their greatest hits album? Because all the good, all the good stuff is on. I mean, there's some other stuff, but but it was really, and I like the Cars. I, I I would say the the first album is definitely ten out of ten, and then the albums after that. There was never an album as good as the first one by the Cars. Well, Rico Cassett got uh, Polina Poroskova off of it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, so he's, he's batting a thousand to yeah. me, you know. <laughs> but yeah, you know, the later Heartbeat City. They were okay. Panorama, okay. So who was the, the singer in there? It was Rico Cassick. Rico Cassick and Ben Orr. Ben Orr, yeah. yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of bands where you have two... I guess Goo Goo Dolls a little bit. Yeah. Because, um, uh, what's his name? Robbie Takak mm-hmm. sings, but his songs aren't popular. Like Well, and the thing is, is a, a lot of times people don't realize... I've listened to him enough. I can I can easily tell it's Ben Orr or it's Rick Ocasek, but a lot of people can't tell the difference. Yeah. You know, so just what I needed is Ben Orr. You know, some of their biggest hits are Ben Orr, you right. know. But people always think of, you know, Rick Ocasek, but but if you if you if you broke them down and look at it, I, I think you might find I don't know. I'd have to look. I was going to say I, Ben Orr might have more of their hits than Rick does, but the first album is just phenomenal. The second side of the first album to me is possibly the best album side ever. You think so? I love it. I mean, you've heard a lot of stuff. I have, but I, I think that side, if I was going to pick, you can only pick one side of an album. That might be the one I pick and notice they all fade together. It's all in one oh, yeah. thing. Moving in stereo, you're all I've got tonight. Bye bye love. It's just really good. All mixed up. It's all mixed up, and that's one you got to listen to in headphones, right? Because there's all kinds of stuff going on. I love that. All right, my next one is "Some Girls" by the Rolling Stones. That is a good one. I, I could just imagine, like, okay, we're going to go in the studio. Yeah. I got this part. I think we should play it on saxophone or maybe yeah. a flute. Or it just goes like this. Yeah. How about we just use that? Oh, okay, yeah. let's go. Okay, with let's that. do it for six minutes. Yeah. I can remember. This is funny because. Is, is that when they were like in the midst of the, like the heroin and the just greasiness? I don't, I don't know. You know, I think 75 or 76 was when Ron, Ronnie Wood Ronnie came Wood, in. Yeah. And so when they, Mick, Mick Jones, Mick, Mick Jones died in the swimming pool, didn't he? No, that's Brian Jones. Oh, Brian so Jones. Mick Taylor, Mick sorry, Taylor. sorry. Okay, Mick Taylor, they bring in, and Mick Taylor, he was a blues guy, and so, you know, they had a, they had a definitely, they were kind of a more rocking band once he came in, and then they were rumoring all these different rumors about who would replace Mick Taylor when he left, right? Jeff Beck. Uh, Jimmy Page, they had mentioned, Steve Marriott from The Faces or Small Faces. They had all talked about these guys would be the replacement. As it turned out, it was Ron Wood. And, and Ron seems like the perfect guy because he fits know, right in. He fits right in. He's got the right hairdo and everything. So th- I, I just had this funny memory. Way too much information. My mom, when I was a kid in Oklahoma, she worked at Kmart. She didn't actually work for okay. Kmart. Do you have to tell our younger listeners what Kmart, Kmart is? Okay. Kmart was it. Before Walmart, it was Kmart, yes. right? It was just your department store thing. Blue Light Special. That's blue where the Blue Special. Light Special I remember started. having dinner at Kmart. At, at Kmart. Totally. They had a restaurant in some of them. Yeah, you could like, go in and eat like, like a, a ham steak and some mac and cheese. Yeah, it was really bad. With a side uh, of cornbread. So my mom, she didn't actually... For a while, she did work for Kmart. Then she got a job working for the the greeting card company What's that stocked Kmart's. 
Okay. So, oh. so, so. I thought she was writing these. No, 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 no. She sorry just for your she, loss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, anyways, she would on occasion, she would let me or my brother or both of us go up to Walmart. You know, for you mean Kmart? Or, uh, yeah, not Walmart. <laughs> Kmart, the SS Kresge Corporation that became Kmart. So we we would go up for an hour or two while she's stocking the the cards or whatever. And so I would always go and look in the record section. Well, some girls had that funny album cover that you could pull out. I'm making a confession that I've never made before. So, what are so. you doing with your hands? Okay, I mean, this is me. This is me. Here's here's where it gets scary, and I think the statute of limitations is up. But the, but the album had all these little cutouts, right? So on the, if, can you find a picture of the album? So. On the picture, on the album, there's like all these girls on the front, and then on the back, there's like cutouts on the album. So on that album, you could pull the album out and then slide it back in, and it would line up differently with the cutouts of the faces. Oh, okay. So making sure no one's looking. So I opened one of those albums once Uh so I could pull it out and slide it back in to see how it would look. Uh Uh-oh. I never got caught. Okay. But that album cover is burned in my brain because I would go look at it and there's like these, because you could slide it in and it was the Rolling Stones faces. And they made some ugly women, right? If you'd line <laughs> them up with the women on the album oh, cover. Yeah. So I've never admitted that, that I was the one, Kmart, that opened that Rolling Stones album so I could pull the inner sleeve <laughs> in and out to see how it would line up with the faces. But anyways, <laughs> they had to put that on the discount. Rack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought they couldn't sell it because of me. So I'm not proud of it. Uh, is it my turn? Am I up? No, I gave you the stones. Oh, okay. Sorry. I keep talking too much. So I'm a sucker for foreigner and double vision came out in uh and foreigner gets i don't know i i don't understand why some people classic rock people they don't like foreigner they do not right and and i love foreigner i think they wrote great songs i thought lou graham was a great singer mick jones that's the mick jones i'm thinking of mick jones is a great guitarist and producer and i love this album that had hot blooded on it it had Double Vision, I th- is Dirty White Boy on that one? I can't remember. It's a great album. And that's, again, another one that I heard a lot on the radio. So listen to that a lot. Okay, I think I'm up. 52nd Street by Billy Joel. Oh, you have to be a big shot. Yeah, that's a good one. So My Life is one of the is the most listened to track oh, on that one. Okay, yeah. Honesty on there. Honesty. That is a good album. Wow. Yeah. yeah. See, I came into Billy Joel, and I kind of went backwards, but Glass Houses, which was 80, I loved that album. And by then, I was full-on listening to music. So I bought Glass Houses and went back later, and I had 52nd Street on a cassette, I remember. That was a good album. And Billy Joel, as I mean, as a musician goes, fabulous. Oh, incredible. unbelievable. And the stuff he plays on piano, rock pianists don't play. Right. That is not where they live his is more kind of um classical almost like parlor piano like mm-hmm. like you know it was basically his albums were set up to showcase him and his piano playing the best that they could mm. so i mean he's got some great songs on there yeah you know it's a great album yeah i hadn't i had not even thought about that one here's one cheap tricks heaven tonight that brought us of course uh surrender surrender that's a really, that's kind of a, well, the song Heaven Tonight is a dark, that's a dark song. I don't think kind I've heard of a that creepy one. song. Yeah, it's a, it's a great album. In Color and Heaven Tonight, most people will, will say those are, those are the two best cheap trick albums. And I wouldn't argue with them. I think that they probably are. Now, what's interesting is the Budokan album, I think came out in 78 also, but Heaven Tonight, it was really Budokan that put them... It was that album was that put the, them on the map. They were kind of a talented bar band before yeah, them. Yeah, totally. They, they, they didn't really have anything going on. The album version off In Color of I Want You to Want Me is terrible. But the live version that we all know, that came from Budokan. And of course, that propelled Heaven Tonight because Heaven Tonight 
was the album they were out touring when they did the whole Budokan thing. And that just, that, that put them on the map. So let's talk about Japan a little bit. Why does Japan embrace certain artists that are not known in America? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Cheap Trick is one of those. I would obviously. love to like have a deep dive. Maybe yeah. get a uh, that would be a good. Oh yeah, if we can get somebody from Japan that would like that would be give awesome. us some insight on why bands break Japan and they Th- break the that's US. That's a great idea. And you know what's funny? For my genre, the stuff I like, which is that kind of '80s metal stuff. They're still huge in Japan. Michael Shanker is still giant in Japan. Anvil. Have you seen that? Anvil. Yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. I haven't seen it, but I've, uh, yeah. A lot of these metal bands are just really big. Graham Bonnet and Alcatraz, they're really big in Japan. They can still go over there and pack these big places and play. And I think Japan is about 300 million people. So it's almost, I mean, yeah, it's about the same size as the United States. So. For sure. So if, if you can if you can hit it in Japan, hit it big in Japan, then then you're okay. Maybe we should go learn to speak Japanese. Maybe we should. There's our chance. Konnichiwa. Maybe that's uh and there were a lot of bands, Quiet Riot, right? The early Quiet Riot when they saw Randy Rhodes, they had two albums that they had released in Japan. Yeah, there there's often and, and, just releases for Japan. Yeah, but nothing here. They didn't it's, have anything going on here. I, I really like to know what's what's going on with Japan. Mm. Okay, my next one is the album Jazz from Queen. Queen. What the big track was Fat that, Bottom Girls. Is that on that one? I know yep. Bicycle Race is on that and one. And Bicycle Race And Mustafa, Mustafa. Oh, yeah. I like it. 78 was a monster year for, like, evergreens. Yeah, and so here's another big debut, and I'm surprised you haven't mentioned it yet. It may be on my list. Let's see. The Police. Oh. That was their debut album. Oh, yes. And I remember... Outlandos de Amor. That's the one. Roxanne. And I remember the first time I heard that So Lonely. So Lonely and... Can't uh, Stand Losing You. Can't Stand Losing You. That's my favorite one. So I remember the first time I heard that, I thought... I just remember when I finally saw The Police, I was surprised that they were white. I was too. I assumed it was like a uh, like a Jamaican That's reggae what band I thought too. or something. And folks that are young that don't remember the days before video is you might hear bands for years before you ever saw what they looked yeah, like. Yeah, you had to go search for them. They had they had magazines that yeah. you would like Tiger Beat or whatever. Or you'd go you'd have to actually go look at the record store and find a picture of them on the album. But I never I never knew probably until the eighties, the early eighties, there's a plane flying over. Getting strafed here. Um I never knew until like the the early eighties that the police were a bunch of white guys. Yeah. You know? But I remember hearing Roxanne the first time and I thought, that's a really I liked it, but it was a really different I never heard anything like that. I thought that's an interesting song, and I think the drumming on it is just fantastic. Oh, it's awesome! The bass playing's fan. It's all oh. the, everything's fantastic on yeah. it. Okay, it's great. Am I up next? You're up next. The band. Ooh, they released this album, The Band, and the biggest song on that album was "Up on Cripple Creek." Up on Cripple Creek. Yeah. Okay, that's a huge album. When you talk about influential albums, that's a good one. Now, here's one. This is a critic's darling band that never got popular, but some people think they're like the greatest band ever. And that's Big Star. Yeah, I saw them on a list. And yeah. And this is their their album, Third Sisters Lovers. I never... Yeah. I, I'm not even familiar with them. I'm we, not familiar with them at all. I've heard that they're magical. The first... I have heard the first Big Star album... Alex Chilton the, from the Box Tops. He was in Big Star. But anyways, they're great. It's cool. We should do. We should. That should be one of our albums. We do is we'll do that. Big I, Star. I think we should take him to Japan. <laughs> yeah, the, it, well, their first album, which this is very clever. Their first album is called Number One Record. Oh yeah. You know, we should do a. We'll do an episode on. Okay. That. We'll listen to that. So, oh, here's one I have to mention. It, it was when it came out, probably. Wasn't as impactful as it became later, but Judas Priest's Stained Class came out in 78. It did. Exciter. Stand back for Exciter. Okay, that was a good album. I like that one. I got one. Let's do it like a machine gun. Okay, let's do it. I'm ready. 
Uh, ACDC with Powerage. Oh, good one. Called Bon Scott before Bon Scott was not Bon Scott anymore. Yeah, that's great. Oh, here's one of my favorites. Jerry Rafferty, City to City, Baker Street. I don't know that one. I love that. I love that album. I've gotten in a Jerry Rafferty kick over the last few years. He's very folky. You know, like Baker Street. The song Baker Street. I love that song. It's on that album, but the whole album's really good. Okay, hit me with one. Uh, You're Gonna Get It by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Oh. How about Rod Stewart, Blondes Have More Fun? (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Uh, I'm not a big Rod Stewart fan, but... Sorry, it's your turn, but I'm going to say this one. Black Sabbath, Never Say Die, the last album with Ozzy. I wonder how that one went. And and Van Halen blew them off the stage every night. Oh, yeah, I heard that. And that's what everyone says. Is they, just, they just blew them away every night. Uh, London Town by Wings. Ah. The track, uh, With a Little Luck. With a Little Luck. That's a good one. Uh, Ted Nugent, Weekend Warriors. Some would say that's his last good album. Uh, I don't uh, think he had a good one. Yeah. Well, he did. Okay. The first... I would say he had three really good albums, but by this time, it's kind of, eh. I got Don't Look Back by Boston. Don't Look yeah, Back. That's a good one. That's Tom a good one. Tom Scholes, man. Yeah, that, that's a good one. And that's, that's, again, one of those albums that almost every track gets played on classic rock right. in high rotation, almost as much as the first Boston album. Uh, that's good. I'm sure we're leaving some out. Uh, I got one from uh, Bruce Springsteen released Darkness on the Edge of Town. And a lot of folks will say that's his best album ever. I don't know. I don't know. Are you a Springsteen fan? I'm an 80s Springsteen. I'm more like the Courtney Cox kind of Springsteen (laughs) fan. I just want to. I want to yeah. be Bruce Springsteen and have Courtney Cox so, with her short hair dance you know, on stage. With me. I I try and Dan, who's our blogger, big Springsteen fan. In fact, you know, full disclosure, Dan is my brother-in-law, and so right after, gosh, it might even been before Laura and I were married. So this is early '90s. He got me. He gave me the whole. Uh, five the Bruce Bruce Springsteen and the East Street Band Five Sides Lives that was called it's a lot a five side album. So what do they do with the six side? There was some, that, but that's what they call. It. I think I think the six side was actually studio stuff. Oh, but then five blank. It was just blank. I would have slept the blank. <laughs> but but he bought me that, and I you know I tried to get into Spring because because Dan just loved Bruce Springsteen. He's got a certain magic. I mean. d- and, and, and I think in terms of, he's like a Bob Dylan, right? He's a writer. He writes these compelling songs. I just, I just couldn't get into get it. That's not saying he's not talented or I, he just, just couldn't get into him. Uh, but that, they will tell you that Darkness on the Edge of Town, lots of folks will say that's his best album. And who am I to disagree? Uh, you got another one. I got one. Okay. You, you hit me with did one. We, did we say Elvis Costello? No. This year's model, with okay, the, with the track "Pump It Up." Pump it up, great song, great song. Okay, here's my last one. I'll let you end. Okay, here's my last one. Controversial, but I like it. It's the Doobie Brothers, minute by minute. Controversial because a lot of the old time Doobies fans they think Michael McDonald ruined. The Doobie Brothers. And, and it's it did become a different band once Michael McDonald came in. You know, they weren't China Grove anymore. Now they're, what a fool believed. You know, they, they really did change. But I like it. I, li- I like it. So uh, that'll be the last, my last pick. Oh, but then I see other I, ones. I got one. Okay. That's going to probably I'm throw, gonna get... I'm going to throw a monkey wrench in the last one. Okay, that's okay. You can do it. The album is Kaya, K-A-Y-A, by Bob Marley and the Wailers. Oh, okay. And the song, Is This Love, came off is of Is This Love, Is This Love. That's a good one. Now, here's one. And I said I was going to stop. Me too. But I didn't stop. Did I already mention the parallel lines, Blondie's parallel lines? You did. Okay, okay. All right. So, I don't want to make sure I didn't forget that. CBGB's. But here's another one. It's a live album. And it's a really good live album. Live and Dangerous by Thin Lizzy. Ooh. It's a good album. 
Yeah, it's a great one. You know what's not on my list I'm looking at? What's There's up? a White Snake album from 78, I think. White Snake? I think there is. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm. Is there maybe, a seven? Maybe, maybe they were brunettes back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't get the uh, the Clairol. I'm, I'm gonna. I, I do have to check this out now just to see if there was a White Snake album. I always I wanted to own Jaguars, but I didn't want to have anybody rolling around. <laughs> rolling on them. around. <laughs> get off my car! You're scratching the lacquer. Okay, so the White Snake album in 1978 is trouble. This is, I think, their first album, and I've, I have listened to this, and it's good. I do like it, but it's not the album I was thinking of. I was thinking of the uh, Live in the Heart of the City, which was a live album later. But uh, So there was a, a White Snake album that year, which actually John Lord was on keyboards. So John Lord from Deep Purple, David Coverdale from Deep Purple. It's great. At some point... Cozy Pals in in uh, White Snake. Cozy Pals played in I think every band in the world. So, anyways, so that's another album. This was a lot of fun. This I was like a heck just of a lot of fun talking about these. Seventy eight was a great year. I'll I'll put a plug in the last episode of the classic guitar rock time machine. You can check it out on any of those stations. Here's a little secret too. I post it on the YouTube channel, too, oh, so sweet. you can hear it if you want to go listen to it. And I'm going to post my uh, my playlist from Spotify of the mm. top songs off the top albums of 78. Awesome. Listen to them. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much for listening. Again, you can email us. You can uh, contact us via the website, classicguitarrock.com. And we appreciate our folks that support us on Patreon. If you're able to do that, you can be a Patreon supporter for as little as $3 a month. But thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Bye, John. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Oh, sweetening! Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We're not ordinary people. We're morons. We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast.